Wisdom. The final frontier to true knowledge. Welcome to Wisdom Trek, where our mission is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. Hello, my friend. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, your captain on our journey to increase wisdom and create a living legacy. Thank you for joining us today as we explore wisdom on our second millennium of podcasts. This is day 1136 of our trek, and it is time for Worldview Wednesday. Creating a biblical worldview is important in order to have a proper perspective of today's current events. To establish a biblical worldview, it is required that we also have a proper understanding of God and His Word. On our Worldview Wednesday episodes, we are in a series in which we are covering another detailed review of a book from one of today's most prominent Hebrew scholars, Dr. Michael S. Heiser. We are taking a deep dive and will share Dr. Heiser's insights into the question, which is also the title of his book, What Does God Want? And today's episode is The Downward Spiral and Final Betrayal. Let's first look at the downward spiral. In last week's recap, we see that God rescued his family by allowing them to escape the bondage of Egypt. After that, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their betrayal of God. You would think that after God brought Israel into the land, the Israelites would have felt an overwhelming love for God, that their believing loyalty would be at an all-time high. Not so much. Instead, they decided coexistence with evil could work. They refused to drive out idolaters, which are the people who worshipped other gods with idols, out of their land. It is like the Israelites knew nothing of the past, how rebellion brings disaster. Their disloyalty and lack of love for God led to a demoralizing scene as found in Judges chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said to the Israelites, I brought you out of Egypt into this land that I swore to give to your ancestors, and I said I would never break my covenant with you. For your part, you were not to make any covenants with the people living in the land. Instead, you were to destroy their altars. But you disobeyed my command. Why did you do this? So now I declare that I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a constant temptation to you. God had judged his people again. He basically said, I'm out of here. Let's see how you do on your own since you don't want me. We've seen that before, and as we've also seen before, God's people did very badly without their God being present with them. And since we're rehashing history... God's response also looks very familiar. He kept coming back to Israel to lift them out of their trouble. We all know people like that. Maybe you're one of them. You stick to helping someone because of love, even to the point where it seems irrational. And if you think about what God was doing, it does seem sort of insane. But God wants a human family, even if he is unwanted. His love defies our logic. The whole biblical book of Judges from which the scene above was cited, is about a seemingly never-ending cycle of spiritual rebellion, the suffering that it brings, crying out to God for help, and God coming back in love. That cycle persisted for a few centuries. It reached a climax of sorts when the people within the nation of Israel demanded that Samuel, a priest and a prophet, anoint a king to rule over them. Not surprisingly, the people's choice for a king, Saul, was an unmitigated disaster. You know things aren't going to go well, or you ought to know, 
when your choice for a king has to be dragged out of hiding just to take the job. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 22. Eventually, God chose David to replace Saul. David was a moral mess, but he was better than Saul. He never showed disloyalty or a lack of love for God. He did break a number of God's moral laws, but he did repent from them and never worshipped another god. For that reason, God made a covenant promise with David that said only his sons could be legitimate rulers in Israel. This covenant was about creating a dynasty for David. God would only consider one of his descendants as the legitimate king. Sadly, the rest of Israel's history in the Bible story included a lot of men who had the right lineage that were otherwise unfit to be king. God had to remove a lot of David's descendants because they were disloyal to him, choosing to follow other gods. A descendant of David inheriting the throne was supposed to love God as well as to have the right family history. That is why every king was supposed to keep a copy of God's laws with him, as told in Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 18 and 2 Kings chapter 11 verse 12. He was to be the most excellent example of a loyal believer. David's son Solomon was the greatest king in Israel's history. That is, if land holdings and wealth were the litmus test. Sadly, his believing loyalty in the true God wavered. He sacrificed to other gods and had a series of political marriages that brought the worship of other gods into Israel. 1 Kings chapter 11 verses 1 through 8. In other words, Solomon began the cycle of spiritual compromise and rebellion that led to national ruin. Next, let's look at the final betrayal. After Solomon's death, ten of the twelve tribes revolted against his successor. 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 41 through chapter 12 verse 24. The kingdom of Israel was divided into two parts by tribes and geography. God's family now was a broken home, so to speak. It's pretty sad that many kings during this period that had ensued had never even seen a copy of God's law. 2 Kings chapter 22 verses 8 through 13. The northern part of the nation, the ten tribes that rebelled politically, immediately plunged themselves into spiritual rebellion. 1 Kings chapter 12 verse 25 through 33. Instead of showing believing loyalty to God, who had given them the land and supernaturally brought them into existence, most of Israel betrayed God. This is why the prophets who roamed around the countryside preaching during this time compared spiritual rebellion to playing of the whore or spiritual adultery. It is a vivid analogy. The southern part of the country, the two remaining tribes, went into spiritual rebellion more slowly, but gradual sin is still sin. Abandoning God never goes well, as the Bible says in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. As he had done in other times, God let his peoples exercise their free will and pay the consequences. In 722 BC, the northern part of the nation was eventually overrun by people I like to call the Klingons of the Old Testament, which were the Assyrians. If the Lord of the Rings is more familiar to you than Star Trek, think of the Assyrians as the hordes of Mordor. I like these analogies because the Assyrians had a well-deserved reputation for cruelty. They scattered the ten tribes all over the ancient world, breaking up families and robbing them of everything that they owned. The two remaining tribes in the southern part of the nation were conquered by the Babylonians a little more than a hundred years later in 586 BC. Thousands of Israelites were forcibly exiled to Babylon. Let's be honest, if God had abandoned and forgotten his people at this point, we'd certainly understand. 
They had rebelled time and time again for well over a thousand years since the time of Abraham. It's hard work to avoid the conclusion that they got what they deserved. But that isn't how God works. Rather than just calling it quits, God decided that he still wanted a human family. But getting his people, the rest of humanity, back into the family required a change of tactics. God had made a series of covenants with his people. But people are, obviously, mere humans. They fail. They fail a lot with predictable regularity. The rest of humanity, who had been assigned to the supernatural beings, the sons of God mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 32, 8, had now become the enemies of their creator, the God of Israel. Things were very complicated at this point. God had a two-part solution for all this. When the last children of God's family were on the verge of exile, God prompted two prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, to tell the people that they were not completely forgotten, that God would make a new covenant with his children, one marked by the coming of his spirit, Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 through 34 and Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 22 through 28. There was a new day coming. But the new day coming didn't address the question on how God could honor his older covenants without scrapping or changing them. A lot of Israelites rejected God and worshipped other gods. They showed their contempt for him by breaking his laws. This grieved God. He wanted to honor his promises, but so many of his children were seduced into worshiping the gods of the other nations. That was the path to death. Remember, because of what happened in Eden, every human would be destined to die and not have eternal life unless they turned to the true God and believed in his love and promises. Far too many Israelites had forgotten that. They couldn't just pick and choose their gods whenever they felt like it from a spiritual buffet. They had to believe in the true God and keep believing. The situation was especially problematic when it came to the kings of Israel. God had promised David that his heirs would inherit the throne, but many of them turned away from him. God couldn't ignore the lack of believing loyalty. He also couldn't just scrap his promises. That would be like admitting that the whole thing was a bad idea, and a God who knows everything just can't have a bad idea. So how could God honor his promise to his people who had rejected him and who were estranged from him? The answer is they needed new hearts. They needed his presence to guide them. What was needed was a descendant of Abraham and of David who could be the ultimate king and perfect imager of God. That descendant also needed to overturn the curse of death on the human race. But how could a mere human conquer death? Well, in order to do so, he would have to be God as well. But how was that supposed to work? And as we'll see next week, that was no problem. And that will conclude our lesson for this week from Dr. Heiser's book, What Does God Want? Next Worldview Wednesday, we'll learn of God's solution to the betrayal of his human family when God joined his family as a human. I believe that you'll find each Worldview Wednesday an interesting topic to consider as we build our biblical worldview. Tomorrow we will continue with our three-minute humor nugget that will provide you with a bit of cheer, which will help you to lighten up and live a rich and satisfying life. So encourage your friends and family to join us, and then come along with us tomorrow for another day of Wisdom Trek, Creating a Legacy. If you'd like to listen to any of the past 1,135 treks or read the Wisdom Journals, they are all available at wisdom-trek.com. 
and I encourage you to subscribe to Wisdom Trek on your favorite podcast player so that each day's Trek will be downloaded to you automatically. And thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and then leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain reminding you to keep moving forward. Enjoy your journey and then create a great day every day. See you tomorrow.